about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. John chapter 2, starting at verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. It's great to be with you tonight. That was the easy part. I'm quite aware that it's warm in here. You are sitting on possibly the second most comfortable seats in Sydney. And I'm going to try and use technology as I preach tonight. So why don't we pray? Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the power of your spirit uh, that has brought us here to hear it, we ask that you would have mercy on us, open, our, open the hearts towards your word, open our ears and help us to concentrate. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As I was preparing for tonight's reading through 1 John, I was reminded of that Second World War uh, slogan, keep calm and carry on. Not because I was worried about preaching, 
It was originally coined by the British government during the London Blitz to G up the population and to help everyone to work together to resist the German Air Force. Of course, like everything in our contemporary culture, it's become completely commodified and you can buy all kinds of humorous variations or find it in memes. Nevertheless, keep calm and carry on seems like pretty good advice during a global pandemic. In our passage tonight from 1 John, and in fact throughout the whole of the letter, I think John gives us an equivalent kind of slogan to keep in mind. Only from John's point of view, it's slow down, read carefully, and remember what's important. Slow down, read carefully, and remember what's important. And that's what we're going to do tonight as we make our way through 1 John 2, 12 to 27. So let's consider the context that has preceded our passage. One of the key things that stands out is that it appears there's been some, some boasting going on in the community. Have a look here. 1 John 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It would appear that someone or someones in the community is saying they have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, but somehow they are without sin. In fact, they've never sinned. Be that as it may, writes John, these people are walking in darkness and deceiving themselves, and worse, in doing so, they are making God out to be a liar. Now, how would John's readers know this? Remember what's important, says John. Chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for our sin, but for the sin of the whole world. Now, if Jesus dies for the sin of the whole world, that's because the whole world has sinned against the God who created them. Sinlessness is not a Christian claim. Rather, a Christian is a sinner who trusts that the sinless man, Jesus, stands in her place before God. Uh, John Calvin, the Swiss reformer, described it like this, Jesus distracts the Father's wrath from our sin with his righteousness. Avert your eyes, Father, from their sin. Look at my righteousness. Now, before we go on, we must slow down again and read carefully. These sinless boasters can be spotted by their unchristlike behaviour. Chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness 
up until now. So the boasters are identified by the gap between their claims to know Jesus and their failure to live like him. It reminds me of that other famous English saying in the underground, mind the gap. Do they still say that here in Sydney? Does people catch strange right? So you know what I mean. Mind the gap, says John. Remember what's most important. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So certain individuals are creating a bit of a stir. They're destabilising the church. In response, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' nearest and dearest disciples, writes to them to reassure them. It's kind of like the sequel to his biography of Jesus that we know the Gospel of John. Throughout this letter, John's refrain will be, slow down, read carefully, and remember what's most important. So let's look a little more closely at the passage we were given tonight. Our passage for tonight mentions a number of groups. There's the children, the fathers, the young men, the antichrists and the world. And it's not immediately clear how they all relate to one another or which of them could be the boasters that we've already identified. So we need to slow down, read carefully and remember what's most important. The first group we'll consider is referred to as children. Or in chapter 2, verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And verse 14, I've written to you, children, because you've come to know the Father. The identity of this group is the easiest to determine because it basically sums up anyone who's a Christian. Or as John says in chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. Now in his gospel, John described it like this. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, those who believed on his name. Anyone who trusts that Jesus is the one that God has given us so that we can have our sins forgiven, is considered a child of God. The second group of people mentioned in our passage are the fathers and young men. In verse 13 of chapter 2, I'm writing to you fathers because you've come to know the one who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've conquered the evil one. I've written to you fathers because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. At this point, we may well wonder why, for example, why has John singled out this group amidst the church or the children of God? What about the mothers? What about the young women? Why don't they get a mention? Some have suggested it's a metaphorical reference to physical and spiritual maturity. The fathers are physically older, wiser, and therefore more likely to be spiritually mature, while the young men are more reactive and more likely to be spiritually immature. As we slow down and read carefully, I think there are two things that we ought to uh, consider about these two groups. Firstly, 
Both the fathers and the young men are addressed in terms of their fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The fathers have known the one who is from the beginning, which relates directly to the opening verses of the book. Chapter 1, verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this we have made known to you, what was from the beginning. Now the young men have conquered the evil one, we're told. The young men are the answer to the father, or the father's answer to the prayers of Jesus for his own disciples in the gospel story. On the night before Jesus died, he prayed this about his disciples. I'm praying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So in terms of being children of God, neither the fathers nor the young men are actually anything that special. What's said of them is true of any other Christian. All we have to do is remember what's most important. Now, the second thing to take into consideration, and this is not so much mentioned directly in our passage, but is a more common theme throughout the New Testament and, in fact, the whole of the Bible, and that is that the leadership amongst God's people are invariably the ones who cause the most trouble to the community. That's right. It's the leadership amongst God's people that are invariably the ones that cause the most trouble within the community. Whether it's bad kings in Israel or false prophets or false teachers in the early church, the greatest amount of grief that is caused to God's people comes from the life and doctrine of the leadership. So to the extent that the fathers and young men are the ones who would most likely assume the responsibility of leadership in a church especially, although not exclusively, in the early church, John is writing to point them towards what is most important. You know him who was from the beginning, and you have conquered the evil one. Now, the possibility that John could be addressing the leadership of the church becomes more important as we move on to consider the third group from our passage, the world. The world is the equal and opposite broadly defined group to the children of God. But understanding God, John's use of the word, term world is uh, another instance where we have to slow down, read carefully and remember what's most important. Look at it there in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lusts is passing away, but the ones who do the will of God remain forever. John here is making a distinction between those who love the world and those who love the Father, a.k.a. the children of God. Jesus himself did a similar thing again on the night before he died as he was praying to God. Let me read to you again from John 17. This is Jesus praying. Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy and it be complete in them. I've given the disciples your world. The world hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The distinction between the children of God and the world in our passage might seem a bit contradictory. After all, doesn't God love the world? Isn't that the world's most famous Bible verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Isn't Jesus the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world in chapter 2, verse 2? Now the fathers and the young men are being told not to love the world. And if they do, they don't have the father's love in them. So, slowing down and reading carefully, we can firstly make a distinction between the world in the universe that God has created through his son and in his spirit and the phenomenon that we might otherwise call the worldliness of the universe that resists God's will to glorify Jesus. John has used other language to describe worldliness in the form of sin or disobedience or lies or hate or darkness in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. In our passage, he clarifies what he means by worldly love with other words, lusts and boasting or pride. Verse 16, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Worldly love, then, is that hidden spark that compels us from within or constrains us from without to satisfy our cravings, our, our longings, our appetites. Worldly love is that secret discontent that we entertain and admire that guides and governs our actions and reactions. Worldly love is that open exaltation we cherish in the words from our mouths and the works of our hands. None of this, says John, is from the love of the Father who offered his Son to save us from sin and disobedience and lies and darkness. That same love from the Father is the one that inspires and empowers us to love others more than we love ourselves. Remember what's most important, says John. The one who loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. And I stress in him because I'm inclined to think that within the group referred to as the children of God in this passage, it's the fathers and the young men or the leadership that John has foremost in mind here and he's warning them, particularly in light of the last group. The last group mentioned in our passage tonight is probably the one that sounds the strangest to our ears, but it's also the group central to the argument of the whole letter of 1 John. In verse 18 there, children, it's the last hour, and we have heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. And in verse 22, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So again, slowing down and reading carefully, 
Notice that John addresses now the whole church, children, to let them know that the coming of the Antichrist is expected due to the last hour. Now, John has already given us hints about this hour. In chapter 2, verse 8, he mentioned that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Or in chapter 2, verse 17, the world and its lusts are passing away. Now, in the first instance, John is able to speak of the last hour or the passing of darkness or the end of worldliness because of what Jesus said to him. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, we read this. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. It is the last hour and darkness is passing. And the time for the love of the world is coming to an end because in his death and resurrection, Jesus the Christ has conquered the worldly forces that resist God. What's more, at such a time, the worldly forces that resist God's will for the universe, even though they've been ultimately defeated by Jesus the Christ, will nevertheless continue to oppose the Father and his Son to the bitter end. Jesus said this would happen. In, his, in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Or in chapter 15, The one who hates me also hates my Father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Thus says John, in this last hour, don't be surprised that there are those in the world that are anti-Christ because the world is anti-the father. Now another thing to notice about these anti-Christs is the false association with John himself. Chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. The Antichrists have broken fellowship with John. And this act alone should show the church something very important to remember. The act of separation shows that they never really belonged with John in the first place. Now, and we already know that maintaining fellowship with John means maintaining fellowship with God. This is how John's letter starts, chapter 1, verse 3. What we've seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the key thing that identifies these antichrists is that they never belonged with John because they denied the truth about Jesus himself. Chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So, and here we have another, remember what's most important moment, the risen Jesus 
and he alone is the truth about God and the truth about the world. There is no other truth about God or the world other than comes through Jesus. To deny the claims of Jesus is to cut yourself off from the Father and to live a lie in the world. More so, and as we've already seen, there's no confession of Jesus as the Christ, God's chosen Saviour, and a belief that you are without sin or have never sinned. There's no confession of Jesus as the Christ, God's royal Son, that does not live as he lived, loving others more than himself. There's no confession of Jesus as the Christ, God's chosen King, and a life characterised by worldly love. Basically, says John, mind the gap. You'll know these antichrists by the gap between their words and their deeds. They claim to have fellowship with us, says John, but they never belong to us. They may seem like fathers and young men amongst you, but they are liars who walk in darkness and are haters of the truth. So how should the children of God respond to what John has written? Well, they should slow down, read carefully what he has written, and remember the most important and especially the fact that God himself is at work in them. Look at verse 20 there. You have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it, has, it was taught to you, remain in him. The anointing from the Holy One to which Jesus refers is the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised his disciples. In the Gospel of John, we read it like this. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. God's second greatest gift to his children is his Holy Spirit. They are anointed as his adopted children through Jesus in the true Son. It is the Spirit of God at work through the Word that enables us to hear God's voice and to know the truth. We are still in the last hour and there are still antichrists seeking to deceive the children of God. They want us to progress from what was first preached and promised and they promise us a fulfilment of our material or sensual or intellectual or political desires. They want us to doubt God's word and ignore his spirit. They want us to be justified by race or gender or environment rather than by grace through faith and in Christ. They promise us the experience of goodness or the wonder of beauty, but they rarely if ever mention the truth. They deceive with the offer of a perfect life or our most authentic self. They fan our outrage and they feed our doubts. 
To avoid them, we must do what John tells his readers. We must slow down, read carefully, and remember what's most important. How do we do that? Well, tonight, or Sunday night, if this is the only time that you slow down and read the Bible carefully, it's going to be proportionally harder for you to remember what's most important. Thankfully, many of you gathered here tonight also belong to smaller groups that meet in someone's home during the week to read the Bible together. Fantastic! You've increased your opportunities for slowing down and reading carefully by 100%. But here's a challenge from now until Christmas. We've spent the last month meditating on what it means for us to overflow with thankfulness, especially in terms of our giving. How about giving half your daily social media time over to reading the Bible? Up to, say, half an hour, just until Christmas, okay? Out of your thankfulness for what God has done for you in Jesus, give up half an hour of your social media time to slow down and read carefully God's Word. Up to half an hour, just until Christmas. We don't want to overdo it. If your day has slowed enough to be using social media, you're halfway there. Just adding reading the Bible carefully instead of infinitely scrolling on Instagram or whatever it is, you'll be in a far better place to remember what's most important. And what is most important? Well, John wrote it for us in chapter 2, verse 24. What you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he himself has made to us, eternal life. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.